Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 198 with Mega Super Coach, the one, the only, Stuart Wilkinson. How are you, great, Bayern? Yeah, good, mate. Enjoying the bit of sunshine that we're getting and and unfortunately, I've worked right the way through. A lot of people have been furloughed, and I'm a bit jealous because, um, so, you know, the, the university where I work, we've got the switch completely remote to a remote system. Um, I'm absolutely flabbergasted how good it is. I'm not a technology person. You know? I, mean, I, love, I love Twitter and things like that because I never had it. But, um, you know, so the university being able to switch, switch to a fully remote system and still get students to complete on deadline um, has been overwhelming, really. It's just, you know, and, they, and they've dug in as well, particularly the third years who want to finish. Um, they've dug in and, and, and made sure they, they complete on time. There's a few unusual things there. They had, you know, they had to speak to the, the authorities of the government, of decision makers, whoever governs uh, grades in university. They had to design a new grade, an I grade, for anybody's assignment that fell after lockdown um, so they have they have like a third or maybe fourth semester uh, to complete the work so you know that's unusual uh, but everything's been done remotely we've been inspected we've been you know the quality assurance just took place and, and while it's been a little bit slower and um, simply because of, of the airways being jacked up we've managed to complete on time and then the other life in coaching um, you know, it's very, very difficult in the UK. We've had like over 40,000 deaths. There's hundreds of people dying every day. Um, you know, sport, like it does, doesn't get it. You know, you listen to the scientists and, and uh, the politicians, and, and then you look, you, 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 eventually the pundits get it. They're living in a parallel universe. Um, you know, adult, you know, they've just started to ease lockdown um, again yesterday, and they've changed the social distancing. Uh, and then they're allowing some places to open theatres and hairdressers and things like that, like dentists and stuff all the day. But still no live sport. You know, yeah. soccer's being played behind closed doors as a as an experiment for, for the two rugby codes and, and obviously other sports to follow as well. Um, you know, so if, you know, how it's been in the UK, Dale, you know, quite often uh, TV programmes and played like vintage games, like the 1950s, to ashes, <laughs> mate. It's been brilliant, honestly. Yeah. Forgot, forgot how phenomenal, phenomenal these old guys were in the back in the day. You know, like the 1984 Olympics and all the finals. So the sport was played, and, and, and you, you managed to get engaged to all these wonderful things that took place. You know, these iconic moments. Um, yeah. Fantastic. You forget about. You know, you take it for granted, don't we? So. That was absolutely brilliant, you know, all that taking place. And in fact, I, I can't, I'm addicted now. I'm going <laughs> to stop showing on the television because the NRL and, and obviously the, 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 the Super Rugby is playing. Uh, stop showing stuff. So I just go into YouTube, oh, watch all the old <laughs> series and stuff like that. And it's been brilliant. You forgot how some of them, you know, some phenomenal, iconic people. Mate, so, yeah. so... So true, Wilco. And one one of the things that uh, I I must admit, looking in Australia, we've got like the there's a cricket channel on, 
and some of the old, like they're going through all the old ashes and everything like that. And one of the things I've recently watched, I don't know if you've seen on Amazon Prime, the test about the Australian cricket side, but I think it was, yeah, mate. One of the best things I've watched that. I, I think it's probably, and I've told people this, I, I really like the last dance about the Chicago Bulls, but I think the test, that's probably the best TV viewing I've ever seen. And I, I physically cried in nearly every episode, like just because it really shows you what sport's like, how much goes into it, the emotion. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah they did capture everything with that one, didn't they? Well, both oh. shows really, you know, this this the sound that, you know, the unravel the corruption and the espionage that that sport faces that they've always got to fight off, and and the, the great these shows that they do, I think now for educating people. I always worry about coaches a little bit, maybe, that they might think, oh, well, that's what that's how the great players are, are, have been developed. So let's go and do that with me under eleven. <laughs> and again, they're in another parallel universe. I think that's going to work. So. Um, I always worry about like like one of my roles as a coach developer, making sure that things can be moderated, things can be sensible. People aren't running off and and, um, and putting young players' health and well-being at risk with yeah. some bizarre thing that we've watched in one of these documentaries. And and, and yeah, pretty really good. I mean, I love the test; it was great, and I was absolutely blown away. Um, I mean, cricket, cricket, um, you know, it's, it's always a sport that I've, that I've enjoyed playing. Um, occasionally, watch it. But it's um, everything's transformed. I mean, it's also high performance nowadays. You know, with, you know, the, the, the last World Cup there, and how near that it was. Regardless of where you were from, it was just such exciting viewing. Yeah. Uh, but then when you go into into what you're talking about, what unravels all those things that an athlete goes through, like the test or like yeah. the last dance. Um, and what worries me a little bit, but a little bit about coaching is the be there, Dale, or you went blank a little bit then. Was the fact that um, the dark stuff that takes place that you, you know when you're in high performance sport, you take it's just part of it. You know what I mean? I've been involved with teams, Dale, in the past that, um, that have been really, really successful, both as a player and a coach. And I know for a fact some of the players don't even speak today. So you know that, I mean? like that, that even even though they're so successful that yeah. now like because because for me Wilco that is what sports about like like yeah. that's yeah the connections you make the social interactions you know the lifelong friends but isn't that funny and I think that's what the last dance showed for me that just because you connect on the field and you have a really good chemistry and you play well together doesn't mean that you actually like each other and that, that's really fascinating yeah. you say that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing that we don't prepare coaches for too well um, is is the darker side. I mean, there's been some research. Uh, I think Andy Cruikshank did it, and there's, you know, there's been some follow-ups, werewolves and vampires. It's really interesting research to read from a coach because it gets you under the under the hood of high performance sport, and it is you know you do you, you know, it, and I don't like these something people get excited about or, you know the fallacy of the tenth man from nation be or whatever it was um, it's so it's so seductive because it was in a movie you know it doesn't exist we just do it for each other you know part part of that you know, one of your main antecedents you need in the dispositions that you need in that performance world is that you'll challenge each other um, and you challenge your beliefs because you know you don't just think oh, I've got this sexy way of playing let's just do it and everybody goes oh yeah coach let's go no it's <laughs> tonight <laughs> tonight and tested 
you know what I mean? And it's like anything else. And, and if you work for a governing body and you're preparing for a tour like I have to in New Zealand and Australia, home international matches, and you plan scrutinised uh, by everybody, nothing gets passed. If, you, if people think how oh, they're getting inspected in schools with Austin and stuff like that, trust me, high performance sports are far worse than that and the rigorous and, and, and way they investigate stuff. And it's like the Royal Marine Commandos to do the same thing. It's part of what you have to do uh, to check each other's belief and squeeze that little bit of life out of each other. And of course, with that, there becomes a price. There's a price to pay. And um, some people know, you know, you know. So I mean, the, the relationship between Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan is really interesting. You've got, you know, they're, they're polarised, aren't they, in terms of, you know, uh, how they are as people and what they've been through. But then there was some things happened in their lives where they, which helped them connect and they had mm. appreciation for each other, and, yeah. and, and obviously mutual respect. And it's, I don't it's... think they go, I don't think they got yeah. the way to go golfing and fishing together like Michael did with some other people. Because it just doesn't happen. And then you probably find there's people within that that you didn't interview that are like, well, stop it. You know, um, and that's what it's like. I've, I, you know, I've seen full on fights between people trying to get the hierarchy of stuff and, uh, and they just get on. So, you know, they get so on we'll go, they get what on do you, because there's a purpose to it. What, what do you do as a coach? So obviously, you, mate, you've coached. And for guys, go back to episode 130 because we'll get, not going to go through Wilco's backstory now, but you have coached all over the world. You are renowned as one of the best coaches in rugby going. So what do you do when two players are fighting each other? Because that's, I mean, like, I mean, what yeah, do you do, mate? Yeah, so, you know, uh, when, when you're around young people, they have them siblings and, and, and the banter and it's quite cruel, but you can manage that. And, and, and if you have a player with darker skills, and, and this is what uh, well, probably PE do well, because PE teach, the, 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 the new PE teachers about the different archetypes. What would, there's a lot of different people, what would you do with that? You know, so getting to understand that there is some players, players with darker skills. And, and Eddie Jones does it really well um, with his wit, his humour and his sarcasm. And he, create, he, creates, he creates that insecurity in his players so they're always on the toes. Now, some don't like it, Dale. It's, you know, like I suppose we're teammates. You're, you know, your meat might be my poison uh, <laughs> because of our dispositions and our views on things. So to coach in teams is really, really difficult because you really have to connect with all of them, um, and you and you need some dark skills yourself. And I don't mean what we've seen in the past, like the girls at British Cycling that ex, ex, exposed some of the coaching that they were receiving, that you abuse somebody. But wit, sarcasm, and, and humour are really, really powerful. Right? Even making yourself vulnerable to players with a dad joke. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know you're going to have people in there, and you can't exclude them from the sport, you know, because if you're playing, particularly in my sport, which is full on contact, if I'm playing a team that's got some, you know, really bubbish type players uh, that sail close to the wind, all right, and it's putting it's putting the result at, at, in, at, 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 as a cost. Well, I'll turn to my dark lords and go, right, we're fucking on. Sort them out. All right? <laughs> and that you need, sometimes you need them. You know what I mean? You need that. You need that. They all, they all form part of that dynamic team. And people are allowed to see that in, um, in the last dance. And I kind of think, and I'm the test, I kind of think it gives everybody hope that when they're working with young people that are showing um, a little bit of discipline problems and they're quite aggressive 
um, and, and you start to think, oh, how can I nurture this young person? Um, because I'm going to need those skills at some point. When it gets mm. out of that, you know, yeah. instead of, you know, everybody turning around, let's chase him out of sport because he's, he's got, a, you know, he's, he's a penalty machine or he's, he's always getting sent off. No, nurture it. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's, a warrior, there's a warrior in there. And where do we learn that in coach education, Bill? Sadly, well, we well, that's the thing we'll go. And I think that's one of the beauties of particularly the last dance that I absolutely loved. And I think this comes down, life is all about relationships, Wilco, like connecting with people and everybody is different. Do you know what I mean? And I think Phil Jackson was so many years ahead of where he was because you look at the, like, and we keep using this as an example, but letting Dennis Rodman go to Vegas mid-season, like when they're, they're professional sports people, but he needed to do that. Like, how crazy is that? Like, that that just shows he knew his players. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, we need to put that in perspective. And I've had this conversation a couple of times, Dale, but um, his professional judgment and decision-making there was, was accurate because he has a relationship. But he wasn't a greenhorn coach. He'd been there four or five seasons and he'd, once, he'd got some skins on the wall, mate. You're a player walking into there and there's a godfather, all right? And, you know, by that time as well, Phil Jackson's emotional intelligence had gone through the room. So he had a good feel for everything. He knew what he was taking on and he knew this kid really had to have some blowouts now and again. And he also knew he was an absolutely unbelievable athlete and he could probably come back pretty fresh. So if Dennis Rodman's, you know, 50% is at 100%. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so yep. all those calculations that Phil Jackson was able to make in and around this problem, all right, wasn't, you know, a, a moment of serendipity. It wasn't. <laughs> it was years and years of experience and, and mm. making judgments and working with personalities and understanding that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Phil Jackson had a, a really accurate profile of, of Dennis Rodman. And, and the group was ready for Dennis Rodman as well. Yeah. All right. Michael Johnson was ready for Dennis Rodman. So when they brought him in, you know, to bring him in at the beginning of it all, it probably been, you know, it might have worked, it might not have done, depending on, you know, how it goes. But what does it for me? And I mean, I think one of the things we need to you know, talk about in the development of coaches is development of IQ or EQ. All right, the emotional intelligence and how you interact with people. It's not, it's not in. That feel, that intuition, uh, the ability, you know, so just simple, if you, if, you, if you can't get a read on your players, come here, fellas. Talk to me. What's the matter? Those simple supporting questions will help a coach dig a little bit deeper. So where do we learn about that inquisitive approach to coaching? It's not in coach yet. Right, we're basically teaching about coach. But yet, coach, successful coaches and, and engaging athletes is all about relationships, like I just said. The thing that struck a chord with me years ago um, about the different, all the different dispositions and and antecedents and the things that you get in a team was was you, you remember the cricketer in Bolton? You were one. I do know in Bolton very well. So, so let's talk about the Bolton phenomena, okay? So he, he, he comes onto the scene, okay, um, and he's, he's, he's an all rounder. He's been an ex professional footballer. He's got quite a good profile. So when you're 15 or 16, like me, you think, no, oh, he's this guy. He's a bit different. And then he's belting Australia all over the place. <laughs> destroyed us. He destroyed us yeah, all you, you open a morning paper and you read a story of him fighting in the car park, um, having an affair with somebody's wife. Do you know what I mean? Um, getting caught with marijuana. And I'm like, wow, this fucking guy's awesome. 
That's an Australian all over the place. Rode it forward a few years, he gets married, he becomes England captain, all right, he settles down and becomes a role model, and he's shit. All right, it's gone. You know what I mean? He's not taking wickets, he's not knocking Australia all over the place. Rode it forward a few years again, okay, he's divorced, and he's back to his old antics, and he's belting Australia all over the place. <laughs> Have you got me? All right, so he's not quite a boy. And more, and like Flintoff and, and, and the kid that was in trouble, Stokes, whose dad's a, a, a Noel Jed. Um, you know, they're not choir boys, nor should they be treated like that either. All right, so so you coaches that have these people, all right, you've got to get good at nurturing um, and getting them to control, all right, when the dark side needs to come. Mm, okay. That's, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to give people space to blow out. Um, even Michael Jordan. You know, needed to shoot out it late one night and get a pizza. Um, <laughs> like, mm, that, that, how risky is that? But for him, it was like a, a major shift uh, yeah. to, to pretty much a, a, a loner. You know what I mean? There wasn't many people in his circle. No. So, yeah, so, you know, it, I, I kind of hope it, it starts, the penny starts to drop with a lot of coaches that look at that. They can filter it, all right? But the message for me is that you can handle, there is a place for these, these characters, there is a place for the darkness, and now and again you need them. Um, you know, Michael Jordan was the driver, uh, he was the obsessed person. Yeah, if we turned up and we were a bit doy one day we were his team, you know what I mean? You know, how harsh would he have been with us? Oh, so, crazy. You know, how easy is Phil Jackson's coach, coaching job? But at the same time, how powerful is a slap? Um, off your teammate. Do you know what I mean? It really, really hurts when they say, is that it? Is that all you've got? You know what I mean? Thanks for your efforts today. It, may, it hurts, doesn't it? So, um, you know, when, when, when I was growing up into teams, and you know, I, I was a bit of a star when I was a kid. Um, I really thanked the old, older players. Um, and it, it was, they weren't prompted from coaches to do it. Um, they just did it. That's your role. And that became my role. But, that's poor behaviour, don't do it again. It's not it's not welcomed here. Or I like what you're doing, but just store it back. You've not earned the right to do that. Um, yeah. Do you think and, do you think that's sorry, um I'm, yeah, do you think that's something that is expected in, in, in a good club or culture that that's the hierarchy that you graduate to and I love the book Legacy by James Kerr, you know, that the like good good people make good all blacks and that the older ones that lead the way, they would be the one cleaning the sheds. And if you haven't read that book, it's probably—I think it's probably the best coaching book I've ever read. But yeah, the, yeah. It, it wasn't about what they did and what they did on the field, like how many tries they scored or whatever, how many tackles they laid. It was if they were good people and the legacy they were leaving. I yeah. just—do you think that's like the sign of a good culture where, the as a coach, you don't need to set expectations that the players graduate and they know yeah. when to do it themselves. Yeah, just self-perpetuate if you get it right. So, you know, I think we need to find that one back and put it in perspective as well. The All Blacks were really unsuccessful internationally for a long time. And it got to a breaking point where they thought, right, you know, and if you're, you're reading any of the dispatches from the coaching team and even like Warren Gartland and they were kicking around at the time, they thought, we need to stop this rock. You know, we're a professional sport and we're full of arrogant players. All right? So, they, they, you know, they decide to, to initiate change. 
um, and really the art of good coaching. So sometimes that means you have to reinvent yourself. Things you have to make sacrifices, and things don't normally, you know, what made you comfortable, and now you have to do things that are uncomfortable. So there's awkward things that happen in the world. It's uncomfortable conversations to have. All right. So when you track what happened to Legacy, it wasn't always like that. Day. Yes, you know, when Colin Meads and then played early on in the seventies, when we still when we first started the tour. Um, I mean, annually, you know. Um, they were a special bunch of people. Then there was a gap where they'd been unsuccessful uh, internationally, um, and then all of a sudden now you see this 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 war machine um, that you're not allowed into without you make a contribution. And if you don't make a contribution, well, then you become bunch. You know, as simple as that. You know what I mean? So culture is really important. But what's important about legacies is, is it, it's it's not evolved. It was a deliberate action. And a bunch of people that reviewed what was taking place and come up with an ideal plan, which was right. What you know, and it's a big thing for me. This in part of my PhD, so social cultural connections. What are we know, you know. So there's no doubt about it. Those gentlemen, Smith and all them, that, that started to initiate change, they looked at people like Colin Reed and all that. They're that case study. All blacks look like that. Okay, and what do we do now? to make sure that that becomes fluid and everybody can see it, it's transparent, that you, you come in and, and this is this is your, how you behave, this is what you need to be able to do. And they generated a brilliant, self-perpetuating, inherited yeah. culture. Oh, it was Damien crazy. Writes, yeah, Damien Hughes writes about it in his Barcelona way, doesn't he? Uh, about you know different archetypes. Uh, that can that can help you develop and also destroy you. And I think it's great now that people do. Even though that you know that you, you could can have a critical view on what you want to, so you are a critical view on these people that write it. I don't because there's a contribution to culture, uh, and you need to filter accordingly. But just the fact that they've now got badges, you know, we can actually badge a cultural assassin, and uh, and, and 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 gives you a culture, real real um, place where they can either nurture that. So say maybe times up, you know, um, and, and how to set up a culture, it doesn't become a star culture, it becomes a bit like the one in Legacy, it actually is, this is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to contribute and move this shit out, all right, yeah. and I might have the ability of, of, of Dan Carter, but uh, I'm certainly going to outweigh the contribution in humanistic ways and contribution to the team, just things like that, so you're, out, you're under considerable amount of pressure, in a culture like that, to contribute and move it forward, aren't you? Um, you know, and, and we also, as well, I think, I think you know, to have a critical view on it as well, like cleaning the changing rooms, I think that's a bit of a fallacy as well. You know what I mean? That's your job. Do you know what I mean? You have a duty player. You, you put the shirts away, you collect the subs off your teammates, you, you tidy up, you sweep up, you do the baths, you do the showers. Next week, you don't put your teammates. I don't know a sport that's never done that. So, you know, when the picture was going around the internet and it went viral, I was thinking, for fuck's sake. You know I mean? <laughs> it's just like it's, it's just like turning up on time or having a referee and trying yeah. your best. It's yeah, your yeah. job. Just get on with it. It's like wearing a pair of boots. Get over it. You know. Uh, the you know, the legacy is much deeper than a tidy changing room. Um, yeah. and the real story is the is the change that we went through that them, mm. you know, in the finals all the time. It puts them in the finals all the time. Rolls in the shell um, because of, of, of yeah. culture. Never mind the fantastic athletes we got. 
No, and, that, and look, I, I agree with that. And I think the one thing I took away from that book was that they saw there was an issue, that, that they weren't achieving what they wanted to. And by doing the same thing over and over, again, they weren't going to achieve that. You know, they needed to radically change themselves. And I think that's why I love the test documentary so much because you see Australia at rock bottom. You know, yeah. and when Langer took over, the goal was to win the Ashes in England, in the UK, which is the hardest thing to ever do. And then to see how they actually did that, um, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I love reading books, but then I think that's where, for me, documentaries are taking yeah. over because the view and the just inside view of these incredible teams you get, it's just, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And you, you get this because you are that coach. So, what yeah. like, do you resonate when you watch this and you're like, you, yeah. you feel it because you, you live it? Yeah, I mean, when things, I'm looking, I, I do have a critical view on it and I'm thinking, I can't see an important part of it. Yeah, I can't see the connectivity. <laughs> and stuff. Or I can't, you know, I can't see the formal and informal people that have put, put a test series together uh, because the, the, the actual what goes on to it is huge. I'll give you an insight, and I share this quite a lot with some of my students. And you know, so we have a performance pathway line, and we're exposed to to, to academy coaching, and we need to have a look at what the coaching looks like. Looks like. And I talked to them about the tour to New Zealand in Australia, and how we manage that. So um, it was a two-year project. There, we didn't just say oh, let's pick a team and go. So we developed the players once a month over two years in preparation to go to New Zealand and be the first ever test series in New Zealand, which we did, all right? A year before that, you know, we interviewed, um, you know, a doctor, and um, it was over the moon that he got a job with, um, with, with uh, a touring team. And, um, and then a big shock to him when he was told the year before the flight that he'd going to New Zealand with the strength and conditioning coach to do some backpack. You know what I mean? And I'm like, really? Because, yeah, off you go. So if we flew out there to find what's on the ground there, what the facilities look like, where can people get stitched up, where can you get a massage from, what's the transport like between the training ground and the hotels. So they went on a scouting mission to collect us, gather information a year before we even landed, way months and months before we started to shrink the squad down. All right. So when they came back, right, they the video the changing rooms at, at Carlow Park. All right. And so can, the players could have a look at where they're getting around. They've made contact with the liaison officer, with medical support, with access to hospitals and, and uh, orthopedic surgeons. Do you know what I mean? So, and how could we recover? What, where could we recover at that late night? Because it was an evening game, we were flying from Auckland to Wellington that evening, straight after the first test. All right, where could we recover? Where's the best place to do it? You know, so, it, you know, a lot of people just see um, test results and, and judge the performance and the, and the coaching by that performance. Um, but when you think, when you track it back to all the things that took place there, there's been a lot of work from the coaching team that's, that's happened. You yeah. know what I mean? In preparation for things to take place. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and, and, you know, like, so, you know, that's exactly what these documentaries reveal. There's a lot of things taking place. Um, and, and, and I'm not a person to, to, to say the marginal gains because I'm not because I'm not a big fan of them. It's your job. If you're working at that level, it's got to ha be a high level of intelligence gathering and that preparation needs to take place. That's the part that I think, um, you know, for a, for, for a person who's passionate about sport would be knocked over 
when we watch those things happen and take yeah. place. Yeah. I just oh, so so true, Wilco. I think uh, the thing I just you you see sport and you you know what goes into it, but. You, you see the result, and I think like you go to a game, you see the result. You don't see the training, the heartache, you know, the preseason, the efforts, the selection, you know, like, and that's what these documentaries are giving us. It's giving us yeah. not the view that we can pay to go and see on game day because everyone's got that and they've had that for centuries. Now we're actually getting before that to what leads up to it, you know, and, and that's what I love about it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the part that we try to teach at university, that you've got a Formula 1, there's your motor vehicle, now let's look under the hood, what goes yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, you know correct. I mean? You know, there's, there's this constant research and innovation taking place before a, 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 any mechanism within that engine is even thought about being designed and fabricated. Um, so, yeah, that's what, that's what these documentaries reveal. It is quite sophisticated. I always talk to parents, you know, and kids when they first come on come on academies, and I, and I always open up the statement and say, right, okay, rugby players aren't made on the field, all right? They're made in your kitchen, all right? They're made <laughs> when we're around. They're made when with you at home and and with the friends and the peers, all right? And so players get to grips with the fact that they need this integrity, and that 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 now their their external life is connected. To them being successful with rugby players when they come to an academy and, and nurturing parents and, and getting them to educate and educating parents needs to be as well. So um, similar process, you know what I mean? It's a, it's much bigger to be, to make a rugby player a successful rugby player is much bigger than just turning up and, and doing a sexy drill with a coach or you know, <laughs> I, saw this, I saw this at a professional club and that's what the professional club does and let's go and practice it in training. No, it's about that 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 collaboration between coaches, parents, clubs, parents, schools, the kid, his friends, his brothers and sisters, and that all those little interactions that they have help make a rugby player. How they sleep and how they eat, and, and the fact that they, they've got some integrity to what they do, it gives them in a better place to be able to um, move through the environment and be successful. What does that do to them? What's the byproducts of that, Dale? They become good people. Yeah. You know? Because sport becomes a vehicle and a commitment from them to the sport, um, and it's a nice little byproduct to have one. You know, they get around being good guys, yeah, good parents to the children in the future and stuff like that. Really, it's a byproduct of you uh, yeah. having the same dedication to that network, um, which is similar to what you see, a similar attitude, if you like, towards um, what you see in the test in the last dance. You know, you're looking under the hood, looking under the hood, and it's much deeper. Yeah. Don't ask for a coach, you know. Don't get me wrong, but you're a fool if you ignore it. Yeah, and I, I think exactly what you just meant there before that these players that are coming in, they've already had successful teams, like you said before. They've got a successful family because a family is a team. If that doesn't work well, then mm -hmm. you know they're probably not going to make the development sides, or they're not going to make the professionals. If they don't have a good knit. knit group of friends do you know what i mean like yeah. so if they've already had that their whole life will go they come to you and then you can actually grow them and make them better but that's how yeah. important families are aren't they because they are a team of course they are yeah specifically with young young players that are dependent on them so um and, you know you can't you can't help but have um some way of, of being able to help parents uh understand that they've got a different life to live there's a great opportunity for them. so you know sleeping and eating and which is affecting what people are shopping for the weekend. They're all pretty important factors now. Um, 
So it is, it is quite a great investment. But one, I think we all enjoy. Um, and if the expectations are managed well, about you know, you know, many will be called upon and few will be chosen. I quite like that saying. I think it's an Winston Churchill one. Um, <laughs> and that's done properly. I think I think parents come to terms with the fact that when the kids come out the other end, they've had a great experience and they're certainly, you know, they've done something productive with their lives as opposed to um, playing on the streets. And, and the lessons they've learned. And I, I think this is a thing, and um, I recently read your recent blog post, so that the effects that coronavirus is going to have, because the lessons that they learned through playing for a team, do you know what? They're, good, they're lessons that will help them in life. Um, so how do you, let's talk a little bit about this, that young athletes coming up that are, are missing some crucial like a crucial year of their life, 2020, there's no sport going on. You look around the world, there's minimal professional sport, Wilco, let alone any grassroots. So what effects is this going to have? Yeah, I think it's going to be catastrophic. I think the worst mm. is yet to come, Dale. You know, when you look at what's happening in education now, um, particularly anybody who's got barriers um, in learning and stuff like that, or some difficulties financially or, or, or physically, uh, I think it's going to hurt us as they start to hit the, it hit the workforce, you know what I mean? It's going to move into industry in the corporate world um, with limited amounts of skills. And I think, you know, that each government's responsible for trying to, to close that gap. Uh, but sporting genius is definitely going to be affected. Uh, you know, there's some good things about them. That, 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 um, and there's great opportunities to have. And you, you kind of think, uh, what are some of the things I've been thinking about? Is that they're all, you know, ultimately one of my philosophies is, the main philosophies is, is, to, is to get them to become self determined, independent thinkers. Well, I think they've got no choice now to, to apply themselves in the back garden, you know, they've done for the toy field and took balls out. Um, so when they come back in, I think it's a great opportunity to start co creating that tree. You should actually look, okay, and say to them, well, what did you learn? Show them what you learned. Let's practice that tonight as a team, and, you know. Um, there'll be things going around in, in the, the heads and the imagination, and they'll be running around dodging lampposts and <laughs> sisters and doing crazy things. And right, okay, now we've got some live ammunition here, guys. What did you do when you were off? All right, yeah. short turn tonight, Dale. What, yeah. what, what, what did you cover? Um, I think that's a brilliant opportunity for us as coaches to, to capitalize on that, that autonomy that we developed. So there's, there is a byproduct to it, but we just need to get our hands on them again. Yeah. Um, pretty scary, mate. I don't know when it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, and you know, I, I agree yeah, with reserves, you. There, Wilco. Yeah, yeah, reserves has been canned um, as altogether now. So there's not not even thinking about reserves and academies playing again. You know what I mean? So possibly there's even a vaccine. But having said that, things are accelerating, and believable. The scientists are finding things all the time, aren't they? Um, and the virus, you know. The, the, the transmission rates really shrinking and always a risk of these lockdown but uh, knowing what we know now we can manage those those cases yeah. pretty quickly and we were ready for it so well, I think we're all waiting for the vaccine now that, that, that makes sport completely safe yeah, yeah. and and who, who knows when that's coming? And I know yeah. I've mentioned this in the probably last four episodes I've done, but um, loneliness is an all-time high. And I, I put that down to one thing. Well, there's yeah. a few different factors this will go, but one of the things for me is that sport is one of the greatest drivers of connection and yeah. embracing each other and feeling a part of something. Without that, I just... Yeah. I, I, 
I really feel for our young athletes, particularly in the teenage years, that are really struggling to find who they are. They've got social media. Um, they're living in these fantasy worlds. Now, now they're not getting the, the social aspects of sport. As you said, it's going to be catastrophic, really. Like, how do you take this back? I agree with you, mate. We need to, yeah, these are the things that these are the conversations that the governing bodies should be having because it, um, and let's not say say sports the be all and end all, but any organised group for a young person, whether that's to go to church, to a Sunday school, they're in the boys' brigade, they're in the army cadets, sea cadets, uh, they go to judo or they go to you know whatever rugby or anything else. It does give them those those those. Um, fundamental humanistic skills to be able to communicate, work together, um, form coalitions to, to achieve an outcome, um, collaborate on ideas. Um, we really, really are being, you know, like, I know what parents have done a lot of smart things with, with some kids like backing puppies. I've never seen so many puppies. <laughs> you know, so they've, they've got some sort of good friends, haven't they? You know, <laughs> yeah, but, correct. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's unbelievable, is it? There's hundreds of past the, the front door every day. Walking a puppy around the puppy. <laughs> yeah, um, where'd they come from, anyway, though? <laughs> yeah. So, so when that, when that, when that, when that, when we know we need to work together, we need, like me and you, we need to do stuff together, every human being does. But at the same time, we also like our autonomy and discovering ourselves, or like doing things for ourselves. So it's that balancing act, really, that but you're not going to be really successful as an individual in terms of your autonomy without knowing what you're come back in here and, and get some some help you know I, I couldn't I could have been a successful coach if I wouldn't have thought to myself you know like I said I mean, the rugby player wasn't built in, 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 in the field he's built in the gym he's built in the kitchen he's yeah. built away from me um, so I need some expertise to come and help me do a good job um, you know so at the same, but at the same time I quite love me, love me independence in this space um, I feel sorry for young people like me I'm, I'm 60 odd um, my life hasn't changed there go to the yeah. gym, home. I just work at my dining room table now and I interact with people, um, you know, over the internet. So I generally spend most of my day working. What I am missing is coaching. But I can't imagine what it'd be like as a 20, 22. Mm. And that's, you know I mean? I, that's I, I a scary thing, Wilco. Yeah, I just lived with my friends, you know, so I played rugby with them and I walked about with them and we just did everything together. So it must be awful for them. That, uh, that you, you need that at certain times in your life. It's quite a delicate period in your life. So they're the, they're the conversations that governing bodies should be having. Yeah. Uh, we're getting people. I mean, we're the same. You know, we know the start of semester one in September. We're working on, on still working on, on collaborative projects. You know, we've not thrown them out the window. So we're going to make them, you know, meet over the internet and collaborate ideas and share ideas. And things like that. So we've got a plan to to to, to help them um, nurture the interaction. We just want that physical contact, not to start with at least anyway. So, um, yeah. but so some people. So I, I like what we've done. We met a staff, a, a academy staff at um, Salford. Right. You know, it's gone. The game's gone. We know it's gone, but it's going to have a devastating effect on the kids and. Um, one of the coaches, Alex Davidson's done a fantastic job. He's just grabbed it. And he's done quizzes, fancy dress, talent shows, um, all over Zoom. And never mind just making sure that the training and active, chasing them up for the results and giving them programs, which you'd expect. Um, but that's not a problem to him. We're getting them to buy into you know, and talent shows and 
poetry writing and, and all crazy things that we've never known. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, lads, the lads have ripped in there. So, um, you know, there'll be a time when we can get back together and it's a little bit safer and we can start to train in small groups now, can't we? Uh, but just, you know, during the peak in April and early May, thousands of people were dying up every day. Um, and just literally people were terrified to do anything. Um, Alex did a great job. Yeah. Facilitating those spaces a couple of evenings a week and every day he was riding them about, you know, being a video on himself training and, 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 and giving them feedback. Um, and and I know loads of other clubs have done, done that as well in similar and probably you know, different ways. So I think that's quite good. Um, yeah, so I look I agree with that. So there will be I think there's real positives that are coming out of this. Like the the creativity of people finding like you just said finding ways to build engagement remotely. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And people are, you, how do you do it? Well, we've figured it out. You've had to do it. So what have you learned? What, what, what's one positive that you've taken away from COVID, Wilco? If, because I think if you're saying there's no positives, then that is absolute bullshit because there has been, there, there's always positives. You've just got to find it. So what's one that you've, uh, you've found about yourself or your coaching or your family or anything? A um, couple of things, really. I think uh, how, how wonderful reading is. Yep. Reading, you know, so I forgot how wonderful that was. Um, I do read a lot of scientific stuff, and I've got to do it for the job. But then I've read, I've read a couple of books that have, have, have I've just found fantastic experiences. Um, and right up there with it is technology. Technology is, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that things can happen like this. You know, we're in Australia, and I'm here. And it's if we just sat across the dining room table with each other. Um, and then the group stuff you can do on it as well. I'm flabbergasted at how good that is. Um, and, and I think, you know, like technology, like I've made what I my blog, technology has really, really changed. Uh, but we, we haven't done, we haven't adjusted to technology. We still live by the, by the, the factory whistle. We're still in the industrial mentality to what we do, uh, even the corporate world. And I think now that, um, seven days in a week don't exist anymore. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Twenty-four hours in a day don't exist anymore um, because things, you know, uh, can be done equally as successfully, if not more so, with people in a really comfortable, safe uh, environment. You know, something that Gunny always talks about. Gunny always talks about uh, Maslow, doesn't he? <laughs> Before blue. Yeah, yeah, and he does, and it's, it's really important because you know. Definitely, everybody's been far more productive because the environment is safe. And because uh, there's an expectation, you know, you, you know, you open a sports hall, you run in a class, even in, in higher education, and we all congregate by the exit before you start because of because obviously think you're going to have to come in there and work out. Well, no, in HE, the, the, the sports hall is about you being inventive and creative. You don't want the body, you want your brain. Um, <laughs> And, you know, so um, I think people are a little bit like that when they walk into a workshop or a lecture theatre. Um, but now things have changed a little bit. I remember I was doing one workshop day, honestly, and they came all the all the students came up on the screen, and one girl had just got out of the shower, she had a bathrobe on and a towel round her head, and she sat there and talked about <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and, and she's a gem of a girl, and she just. She, and she come up with loads of good stuff in the conversation. 
you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, was, I, I said, well, it's, it's quite early for a shower and bath. And she goes, oh, I was up at seven o'clock training. So I thought I'd have breakfast, have a shower, and then do the workshop. And I thought, what a, what a good thing. Yeah, and I think, that. isn't that great? Because everybody learns at different times. And that's one thing I've always found fascinating about school and nine to five working. It doesn't work for everyone. Whereas now, this remote learning, people, if, do you know, if, you, if you're a night owl, you can work all night, you can sleep in. Like, you can work when times suit you. And if you want to have a shower, you can have a shower when you want. Like, so yeah. I've found people a lot more relaxed if they've got their job. If they've lost their job, they're obviously stressed. So there's yeah. all... There's all pros and cons, but on a, on a march, I think people are more relaxed. They're getting more exercise in. Um, they're not commuting, which is a huge yeah. positive. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the freeways and the, on the, on the roads are, are, are much better. They're great. They're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just fly around, aren't you? But I think we do need to show some genuine, genuine concern to education and, and, and what's going to happen to children. Um, I mean, in, in England at the moment, I think, you know, like in the northwest, I was listening to... Uh, some feedback on the television a couple of nights ago. And there was, out of 72,000 teachers in Lancashire, there's only 2% willing to go back. Um, wow. 2% uh, willing to go back. Is that because they're scared? Like, yeah, they're just, you know, they're unsure of what, what it could look like, you know, the, 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 in crowded classrooms. You know, you've got to remember schools in, in the UK are really old, so um, they've got a limited amount of space, so they can't give them two weeks. Um, and, and all the time you're looking at children, aren't you, as carriers, because they can be and not show any symptoms. So there's some, there's some fear taking place without a crime. Mm. Uh, so I can imagine, you, you know, that, and you know, when you get, you actually, it's, it's like Russian roulette, I suppose, David, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's literally putting people's lives at risk if you're not, if you're not really clear about the risks. Um, and when they looked at what they talked about in schools, the risk was too great still. Um, where in other areas it might not be, you know, so supermarkets, hairdressers and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> supermarkets are the worst. They they scare me, Wilco. I, I still yeah. don't like going to the supermarket. I reckon they're the worst place they have them all. I know we're going to eat, but... Yeah. I, mean, I mean, to be fair, I mean... Uh, some some do it well. I mean, you've got like a number of supermarkets. You will have in Australia as well, where you, you know, like so. Um, your son went to Tesco the other day, and he said, "I'm never going back there again." <laughs> People didn't have masks on. They were taking into the space. It was just ridiculous. It was just carnage. Where my wife goes to a posh place like a farmers market, and they were, and, it, and everything was beautiful. You know, there were screens everywhere. There was space. There was a one-way system. There was security in there to make sure nothing was happening. You know, she goes away and she said, honestly, that's the best shopping I've ever done. <laughs> I mean, uh, so yeah, I think yeah, I think what you need to do, you know, like, uh, these these smaller markets, you know, these smaller, and I think there's some research that someone said today, these these little shops now are going to boom again um, because they're easier more to control entry and exits than they are in, mm. in, in a large place. You know, so. so steer clear of Sainsbury's and Tesco's, you reckon, mate? I, yeah. I used to live around the corner from one in Hammersmith with all the other Aussies, and I tell you what, it was, I thought it was crammed already without COVID. I don't know how it would be now. <laughs> yeah, so London, London was demolished early on, wasn't it? There were so many deaths early on, and then all of a sudden it's been a ghost town, hasn't it? Um, quite frightening, really. So I don't know how they're going to manage. 
Yeah. But, uh, well, we'll go, mate. I, I, uh, as always with you, mate, I don't have any questions because we just get on a roll. We talk about things. And I love today, mm. uh, I think the power of, like you said, reading, like go back to read, but also watching sport docos. We're getting an inside view now um, on yeah. everything doing. So last thing I want to leave you with. So if you're a parent out there or a teacher and you know the social impacts of no sport what are some things that you can help out like your obviously your children with or your students with to i don't know give them some aspects of the social missings that they're getting from not having sport yeah i think if you, if you, I'm, I'm certainly going to use those documentaries as, as things for the university and questions and i think it's it's getting their understanding of it so you know uh, look at that environment and, and tell me what the positives and negatives you can see uh, from those environments um, and then then you can start to facilitate uh, the gaps can't you so if, if things are emerging that, that they, they honestly really believe that, that grassroots sports should look like that well then we've got we've got an issue you could be in trouble issue. i agree yeah, yeah i agree and, then, and if and if then you've got other people saying well i don't understand why they're doing that what is the point then you can enlighten them a little bit, can't you and then you've got you might have other people that are like we can rationalize some stuff well like we do it Got a, I've got a little bit of a gem there, and I'll take that gem away from that, that conversation. And then I'll use that myself, but the rest of it, I'm not sure about yet. I don't know where it sits, and I need more information. All right, we'll go and research another one then, and have a look and see if you can find some consistencies. So I think there's things there that, that uh, draw conversation starters. They've all got likes. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that you can get socially from sport. Um, you know, and workforce skills for the future. Um, I, I think it's a good opportunities to be able to make sure that we can we can then draw them out in terms of educating uh, future coaches and, and parents and children as well when they play sport, um, and just help them with those filters a little bit. What's sensible? What's dangerous? What's suitable? And what's not? Yeah, yeah, I, so I absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there are two. Hey, to, to me, it's just like looking at a journal or a book. You know, and getting getting a kid to do some composition from that. What did you find? Yeah, what yeah. Points, what are the yeah, things yeah. that you could connect with and make sense of? I think that's what they're for. And that's, what I, that's how I see it. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, obviously 2020, mate. I think we'll look back in five years' time and just think, what uh, what did we live through? But I also think yeah. it'll it'll make us better people, better friends, family members, but also better coaches because we've yeah. also learnt all these different skills now, how to build engagement re remotely and the power of connection that we've been able to, you know, create. So when we do go back, I think it's going to be amazing. So, mate, as always, Wilco, thanks so much for your time, mate. I, I know you're a busy man in demand, and um, <laughs> it's always a blast chatting with you. So thanks again for being yeah. on the show, mate. Yeah, lovely to talk to you again, Dale. Absolutely outstanding. And thanks for the conversation. Champion. Really thanks, enjoyed mate. it. Loved it. Thank you.